0: Welcome to The Black Athlete, a podcast where we put the past into the present of black sports. I'm Lewis Moore.
1: I'm Derek White. We're sports historians here to give you the historical context for contemporary black athletes.
0: And welcome back. I'm Lewis Moore, author of I Fight for a Living and We Will Win Today.
1: I'm Derek White, author of The Challenge of Blackness and Blood, Sweat and Tears. Jake Gaither, Florida AM and m and the History of Black College Football. Welcome back, Lou. Thank
0: you, thank you, thank you. Four more weeks left in the semester. It's 20 degrees outside. The snow's on the ground. <laughs> I am ready to get this thing started. That's right. It is officially, I am still in uh, New England,
1: and thus it is freezing outside. Snow on the ground as well. And then four weeks
0: before we move to Kentucky, so there it Ooh, is. Ooh, is this the first – I think this – we've been talking about this. This might be the first time you dropped that on us. I don't think that's the first time, but if I it is – I think it's the first time. Yeah, yeah,
1: man. You back to, Going back home to to Lexington, University yeah. of Kentucky. There it is. Is that the team that just lost? That is the team that just lost as the number one team to uh, Evansville,
0: coached yeah, by Walter wow.
1: McCarty, which in, in hindsight is one of my favorite UK players, though.
0: Right. So, did uh McCarty? Did he was he a a, a no limit uh signee or was that uh? I mean, I know Kentucky one of the Kentucky guys signed with Master P's No Limit. Oh, that's a deep uh, cut. I don't know. That's yeah, yeah. Cut. We'll have to look that up. We'll to, <laughs> I'll look that cut. up in the, the show. <laughs> we'll have to come back to it. He might be one of No Limit signing. If so, shout out to Master P for, for making this all happen 20 years ago. So, there it is.
1: All right. So, today, man, um, we're going to talk about black college football coaches, but before we do, we are going to talk a little bit about this breaking news that the NFL has uh, decided to give Colin Kaepernick a tryout slash interview uh, on a Saturday before NFL teams. And so Lou, what do we think about this uh, turn of events?
0: I, I like how you put it, the NFL decided, right? Uh, let's you know that that what we've been saying for the last two and a half years is true, right? He he was blacklisted or as we said several times on these podcasts, one on the Kaepernick and collusion podcast and the other one on the last tapes podcast that there's a gentleman's agreement going on. Kind of, kind of like baseball, right? Where all these owners kind of had this agreement to keep cap away. And now all of a sudden here, the NFL is having this full blown tryout, which lets me know that for the last two and a half years, there's not like a Bill Veck in there. There's not like a Branch Rickey in there who had the courage to strike on their own. And if there was, right, then the mm-hmm. NFL shut it down kind of like uh, MLB wound up shutting uh, Bill Veck down. And what I mean by that is at one point, <clears throat> even before baseball's integrated, Vec uh, was planning to buy, I believe it was going to be the Phillies, and, and stock the team all with black players. And as soon as the MLB found or as soon as Major League Baseball found out, they sold the team to somebody else who was offering less money. So, mm. if there's a Bill Vec out there, the NFL did them dirty for 2 years and now it's like collectively here, cat, you have 2 hours to make this decision, try out on a Saturday when nobody will be watching so we can also control the narrative. And what I mean by that is I think there's some shady stuff, it doesn't mean that it's not legit, right? Like we know mm-hmm. um, you know, stuff, you know, people try out and someone might be blown away. But I think what's going on is that if it doesn't work out, the NFL will have the opportunity to say he didn't make it on merit. Right. That's the Mm -hmm. only thing that's been missing from this conversation. We've heard the vegan diet. We've heard the anthem. We've heard the Afro. We've heard about his his girlfriend or his partner tweeting. um, You know what I mean? Like every single excuse. Oh, he lost his job to Blaine Gabbert or whatever, even though he beat him out for the job. We've seen his numbers. This is, for to me, might be that part of it. Like, oh, uh, we, we worked him out, and it just didn't quite work.
1: Well, I think this is also. I mean, I think a lot of folks in the sports industry have talked about this over the last twenty four hours. But I will say this that, and I think that you know, I saw Bobbi Jones and talk a little bit about this on his show. Uh, Dave Zarron tweeted about this as well, and I think that part of this is is that this is structurally a flawed plan, right? That there's a sense that, um, you know, the NFL operates on a schedule and Tuesday is the tryout schedule. So if you, you know, if you lose your kick returner on Sunday, uh, Tuesday's the day off, that most teams have, and so they bring in guys to try out on Tuesday. So, the notion that they're going to have a tryout on Saturday when all the college scouts are away looking at college athletes in terms of preparing for the next year's draft, uh, and then the NFL staff, the GM, coaches, etc., all preparing for a game on Sunday, it gives it's a ridiculously small window. So, this will be interesting to see who shows up. Of course, there's not going to be any television or media coverage because they don't want it to get out. I think the other angle is too, is that Roger Goodell is trying to, um, um, you know, improve his legacy, right? Like he, you know, he, he wants, I think he's, I think cognizant of the fact that he will be, or is defined as the commissioner who blackballed, allowed for the blackballing of Colin Kaepernick. And so this again, I think, as you pointed out, gives him an out, right? Like, hey, we gave him a tryout. It didn't work out. Like, you can't blame me. My hands are clean. Um, and he gets away to spin the narrative. Um, but that said, I will say this. I think it also speaks to the fact that Cap, on on his side, that this dude has been preparing for the last three years and that, you know, That even though he would prefer to to do it on Tuesday because he understands the schedule, he's ready to go on Saturday, and I think that speaks to his preparation. So I hope you know I'm wishing him nothing the best. But you know, if you watch any NFL football, if you're not still on uh, boycotting the game, if you're watching any NFL football. There are a lot of bad quarterbacks in NFL, especially a lot of bad backup quarterbacks, and I think that's really what we're talking about: is a backup quarterback, a guy who could come in and give you a couple of weeks at the at the beginning and possibly be better than your starter. Uh, you've got teams tanking for, uh, you know, trying to two, get one yeah, of the two. two, uh, two, uh, two uh, 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 yeah. So I think there's a sense that, you know, there's a team there has been playoff teams and having a good backup quarterback as the Saints have proved uh, is essential for your any chances of, of home field advantage in the playoffs or making a playoffs or even a Super Bowl run. Um, and so you know it's it's been you know i you know i'm disappointed like when you're if you're a fan and your team is like yeah we're trying to win the super bowl and you're not bringing in cap and you got a terrible quarterback then i don't really believe you and so why should i spend my money i think that's the other issue and so i think there's a certain kind of competitive imbalance right that is occurring uh and teams not doing full due diligence to try to uh to sign this man
0: right i think just to back up on on that formality point like i <clears throat> I tweeted the other day that this is kind of like kind of a sham. And, and whenever these things happen, <clears throat> these players know it, right? So if we go back to the Negro League comparison, you know, like Jackie Robinson and Sam Driftrow in 1945, when they get the trial for the Red Sox, they knew it wasn't, nothing was there, right? But they're mm-hmm. going to show up anyway. They're going to do their best and they're going to play their hardest. And that's what Jackie says out of this, right? Um, Tommy Smith, uh, 1968 mm-hmm. Olympian, who was drafted by the Los Angeles Rams in 1967, a couple of weeks after. The uh, he raises his fist in the 1968 Olympics. He gets a tryout with the Rams only because contractually they had to give him that tryout, but he knew right. going into it, it, it was a sham. He had no shot and they didn't even care. Like, I think they called it after like a couple plays, right? It was just something <laughs> they had to do, but he still showed up, right? Because you want right. to be able to show that you're ready, and I and I think I like that Caps doing this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he's got. His people out there speaking for him, right? So he can't, can't speak, he rarely speaks. And and one of my favorite is Eric Reed, who who dropped Malcolm X on us like a he year ago. Like, a year ago, he's dropping neocolonialism on us and, <laughs> and, and and backing it up with a definition. And this year, yesterday he drops Malcolm X talking about, you know, if you put a knife in my back nine inches, and what do, what do you say? Pull it out six inches, you still yeah. have a knife in my back, right? Um, I love that. Right. Cause that's what they essentially did, did to, to cap. And I love shout out to him for either reading or listening to the Malcolm X tapes.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a great thing. So I think we're going to follow up on this. We're going to come back to this topic in a, in, in a week or so after we see how, what, what shakes up and what becomes of it. Um, but that's our initial thoughts jumping into this. Um, but we, you know, we want to transition into, you know, we're in the height, of of college football season uh the playoffs uh the positioning for the playoffs well that lsu is now the new number one team in the country um uh ohio state's number two uh clemson is three who's four
0: i don't watch um i don't i don't know is there grand valley state universities that grand valley state no No. it was penn
1: state they got beat no it's not um So what you're talking about now is we're in the heat of the college football season, but we're also seeing teams that who are struggling beginning to make a change at the top, right? So Rutgers fired their coach after Chris Ash after three or four years, Um, and most notably for this podcast, Willie Taggart at Florida State got fired after in the in the middle of his second season,
0: right? (laughs) Wow! Yes, and,
1: and so this is. In many ways, this is a really interesting kind of, um, uh, you know, Roshart's test, right, about race and college football. Because folks like us who study this uh, this issue pretty intensely uh, know that it is impossible to see any kind of turnaround in two years when uh, you are the new head coach, right? So it's not like he's t- he took over Florida State. Florida State is, a, of course, everybody knows it's a preeminent program uh, in the country. But Jimbo Fisher had left the program in a state of disarray, is right. a nice way of putting it. Um, in particular, his last season, the offensive line was terrible. There were several players who had gotten either suspended for academics or for uh, getting arrested. Uh, so there was not a lot of discipline in the program, as well as the the results on the field. So they had barely went five hundred his last year, uh, and they went to a bowl game. I think they lost, ending a streak of some sort. And he took a job at Texas A and M, and then they hired Willie Taggart, who was coming off of his after one season at uh, Oregon. And Willie Taggart had made a a a career and a reputation as a recruiter and a program builder. And so he's the app person, right? He's a Florida native, love Florida State, uh, and believed that he was the guy to rebuild the program back to its 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 heights as it was just a few years ago when they won a national title. But two years later. They're fired. And year and, so and a half later, if, right? Like year and a half yeah, later, yeah. right? Like not even a full None two years, right? Year and a half. Yeah. Right? <laughs> he gets fired, right? And we see this as impossible that this impossible standards being applied to uh black coaches.
0: Right. And oh uh, yeah, go ahead. Go go ahead. ahead. No, no, ahead. No, no, I was gonna say, right, right, right. Like the impossible standards of really let's call it what it is, just being the cleanup man, right? Um mm-hmm. and and what we do here is we talk history, and that is Indeed, the history of the black football coach, um, you are the cleanup man, whether you're at the pro or the college ranks. And this one specifically is the college ranks. And it starts from the very beginning. It starts from the beginning. You have a black head coach in at a PWI at uh, Division One program with Willie Jeffries. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Jeffries, if you guys don't know, um, is, is actually this. And this is a, a fun fact and a not so fact too. fun fact. Um the only black, we'll, we'll, we'll emphasize black, the only black yes. head coach that comes from an HBCU in, to the Division One ranks at a PWI. So think about that. Since when was he hired? In 78? 79, 79. Right? So the season starts, I think it's December 78. They start in 79. Since mm-hmm. that season, there has not been a black coach to come from the HBCU into mm-hmm. Division One ranks at a PWI. That's, to me, that's amazing. But- the other part about it is this history of of kind of building a program, um, and so for for those of you guys that don't know, Willie, Willie Jeffries is um, came from South Carolina State, right? He had he had a yeah. stint he had a stint at Pitt, and then goes to South Carolina State, builds up that program, and that's an amazing feat in itself because at that time in the nineteen seventies, as a black coach in South Carolina, all of a sudden now you don't have the pick of the top black athletes in South Carolina because you're competing with Clemson. And South Carolina. And you don't yeah. have that type of money, right? To to to, to <laughs> not kind of entertain these students. And you're still dealing with, you know, you're still, as people like to say, balling on a budget, right? As 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 they have mm-hmm. to do. And he balls out and 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 wins a number of coaching awards um, within the state, you know, comparing him to white coaches at South Carolina and within his college ranks has mm-hmm. the South Carolina State as one of the top programs, not only in HBCU programs, but all the nation of his um of his field, of his category, right? And then he mm-hmm. gets hired to Wichita State job, which is essentially a cleanup job. And what's interesting to me is one of the things that come up when you're reading these articles about him kind of getting that getting that job at Wichita State is recruiting. Um in yeah. fact on his interview, the the committee asked him I guess they were kind of prepare preparing him, right? Like in a in a Jackie Robinson branch, Ricky sits. If he can uh, kind of take these insults, um, what if like what what are people saying? Are essentially people are saying that you're only going to recruit black players, right? On the one hand, like, <laughs> right. like he's literally going to bring in an all black team to Wichita State, so right off the bat he has to deal with the race issue. Who's going to play? And then the mm-hmm. other part that the black coach had to deal with, then and I think still has to deal with now is that white player. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Are you going to be able to go on the one hand, go into that white player's living room and talk to his parents to, to, to essentially tell him, like, look, you're going to be led by this black man. And then on the mm-hmm. other hand, is that guy going to listen to you? And are you going to give him a fair shot? So that's the beginning of, of, of black college coaching, right? Cleanup job. What, how's the recruiting going to go? And no one's really talking about X's and O's, right?
1: <laughs> no, not at all. Even though he's a fantastic X and O coach, right? I mean, that's, um, you know, just get a little little HBCU You know, South Carolina State had been You know, a marginal player in, in black college Ranks until the 70s, and so it's one of Those interesting places where You know, during the height of segregation South Carolina State had a few good seasons um, But they were not, you know They were not in the, the elite category with Florida A&M or Tennessee State or Grambling Or Southern, Prairie View in those days uh, And so the fact that he does He turns this program into, makes it into Elite status, they make the one double A Playoffs, I believe, in 68 in 79, I think, the year after he leaves, um, and he had built this tremendous program. But, you know, it's it, you, you, this excellent point about, you know, this notion of a cleanup man, right? That Wichita State was even considering getting rid of football right. before right. they They're hired. Guys.
0: They
1: were terrible. Before like, hired, Yeah. And, and since oh, so. they have
0: since got rid of football, by the way. like
1: Right, right. <laughs> Which they end up doing, right? But this is an interesting thing, right? And so this sense that he play he coaches there and, and he, you know, his first season is terrible. He he goes like one and ten. Right. But but when, by year three, he goes eight and two, right. right? And he finishes second in the conference. He does this amazing job. Um, and then the next year he kind of slides back because his first full recruiting class comes of age, and now he has to kind of start over if you know anything about the cycles of college football. Um, and then he decides that he's gonna quit his job at Wichita State. Because he felt like it was too stressful, it was too much work and not enough respect. And he takes a job at Howard.
0: No, right. And, and to back up on that, on that first year, they play Alabama. Um, <laughs> right. Bear Bryant Alabama. And so that makes him the only, there's only coach in history to have coached against Eddie, uh Eddie Robinson, who's at Grambling, uh-huh. and Bear Bryant. And Bryant, after the game, says that he got out coached. Now, I don't know if that's like kind of just throwing some pity on him because I think that the score is like 38 to nothing when it probably could have been 100 <laughs> to nothing, right? Which sounds like right that's their money game, right? Um, yeah. That was their game that they they played um, to kind of build up their coffers, right? Which is interesting because now we associate these money games. A lot of times with these HBCUs. Uh, how did mm-hmm. you get this kind of beat down? You know, Howard versus Merlin. Uh, what was this? Ooh, ooh, 78 nothing beat down. Or, was it 72 or 78 nothing? Seventy nine. I, I was wrong on three, two counts. Uh, just to get a check, right? And and so that was their beatdown. But that's a, I think mean, to me that's that amazing thing, right? He bridges Eddie Robinson, bridges Bear Bryant, coaches against both of them, and Bear Bryant after the game, it's like this dude coach, me, I'll coach me. Um, which is you know give these guys better, better, better players, and then they go on to win. But but he goes, as you say, he goes to Howard, and I believe he goes back to South. Carolina state right um Mm -hmm. to finish his career and he is part of the hall of fame 2010 uh college football hall of fame uh class uh but but he's the first guy and and for me what sticks out is when we're you know to get to taggart right you have to look at this history of hiring in 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 college football of black coaches and one of the things that come up is not only are they clean up man is that how much dues they have to pay just <laughs> just to get there and then never get a shot again, right? And so one of these names that come right. up that we we were talking about uh was Bobby Simmons, right? Who who mm-hmm. who I believe did 20 years of assistant coaching. Um uh, you know started mm-hmm. as that I believe that grad coach and then working his way up 20 years just to get his one and only major gig at Oklahoma State. Right. And before he got that mm-hmm. Oklahoma State job Everybody thought he was going to get that Colorado job. And they hired, I believe, Rick Neuhausen, who only had six years experience, right? And yes. when that happened, all um, all the red flags went up. Like, wait wait a minute. This guy has 20 years. And I believe uh, Sims wins coach of the year at one point for Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. gets fired and never gets a shot again, which is crazy. Yeah. And you see this time and time again at, at the college ranks.
1: And so like one of the things that that Willie Taggart, you know, I think there's two sides of this Willie Taggart getting fired. So, right. There's a tagger, the the part that we talked about earlier, right. So far as this cleanup, that that black coaches are getting these terrible jobs and that they have to make do. And so they're already starting with a difficult circumstance. Uh, And so to win and to win quickly to appease boosters with this kind of racial politics that are often lying underneath the surface uh, is, is a very difficult kind of endeavor. But the other side, Of this, and I think this is the part where we got to deal with now, and I'm actually looking forward to see what happens to Willie Taggart. Is that black coaches? Then when they get the when they get fired, they never get rehired. And your point about Bill Bob Simmons. So you know, we did a, a thing, a quick account and so this may this is mostly right there have only been four coaches as far as we can tell that have been rehired four black coaches that have been fired yeah, and rehired yeah. right tyrone willingham got fired at notre dame and got another job at washington charlie strong got fired and the and the last three of all in the last couple of years charlie strong got fired at texas and got a job at south florida kevin Sumlin got fired at texas a&m and got the job at arizona mike loxley got fired at new mexico maybe a decade ago and then worked his way back. And now is the head coach at the university of Maryland. Um, and so that's, that's it, it,
0: right? Yeah. That's there's it. No, <laughs> I, there's no, right. It's like uh, for them, it's the one and done. Like, um, my man at Michigan state, right. Who, who's in the same right. coaching tree. And this is another conversation we'll have to have, uh, in a, in a bit, like white coaches in their coaching tree, but he's the same coaching mm-hmm. tree gets one shot at Michigan state. And, and that's it for for big time programs, right. and it's like that with the pros too, right? So no one's been rehired three times, and and only two of the coaches, I believe, um, have been fired and then rehired within the same year. I think it's uh, Herm mm-hmm. Edwards and I think Tony Dungy going from Tampa to to the, to the Colts, right? Um, mm-hmm. The rest have to have to have to wait, and some guys never. You know, what's his name, Raheem Morris, uh, who who at one point was like ten, I think finished ten and six one year. With the Bucks, he's never ever gonna see a head coaching oh. game ever. No, never, ever, ever. ever. Never. No. And he and he had a decent, and he had one good year, some okay years. He's is never. And what's his name? Who Shiano? Who who replaced him? I believe. Um, and he's in every. You know, he comes up in every every, course, search. every search. He comes up like you know. Every search he comes <laughs> up
1: just because Graciano's gonna get the Rutgers job. Just so you again, know, you right? Already Did he already it? have it? Right, like just because he
0: had one he good had year Rutgers, at Rutgers, yeah. right? Like one or two good years at Rutgers, he built yeah, which is big. Okay, you build a program, which I, we can't get into building Rutgers. He, you know, has so much kind of talent around there, but whatever, um, right? And and that's the other thing, like Willie Taggart, like you're seeing this in, in, in like live, right? Is he when you're watching it? Once he gets fired, like man, he's never gonna get that, right? Um and it's not like he didn't have an amazing run, right? For me, looking at Taggart, he's like if we're looking at him, I was thinking about this the other day. He's a little bit different, right? So we mentioned Bobby Simmons. Bobby Simmons had to wait 20 years to get his big gig. I think mm-hmm. the time clock is a little bit faster now for black coaches, right? Uh to get yes. that gig. Right. So that's 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 what's new about this, right? So so it's not, you know, Taggart graduates from he's, you know, his quarterback at what? Uh Western Kentucky. Breaks the Russian mm-hmm. records as a quarterback uh, for for that level, um, goes into coaching ranks, and he's part of that Harbaugh tree, right? Harbaugh's dad, Jim Harbaugh's dad, was his coach. Then he goes to to work for uh, Stanford for a bit, and then back to Western Kentucky in South Florida, mm-hmm. right? Before he gets that Oregon job, um, but so he's worked his way, right? He's paid his due. He's yeah. he's done everything, and he's and he's had to build at every program, right? Uh, Western Kentucky was terrible, and even while he was playing, they're talking about like, getting rid of that program. South Florida is like, come on, you got to recruit in Florida against the big dogs, and he does it. Um, right. And then he gets that the Oregon job, I believe he gets it not only because he's he's really good at South Florida, but he blows them away in the interview process because Oregon uh, has a Rooney rule, uh, that you mm-hmm. have to give black coaches or minority candidates a shot, and he blows them away. He's like the Mike Tomlin. Of football and and within a year he's at florida state job and and this is the conversation i want to have with you because on one hand like i don't think he's going to get rehired any big time program soon um but the other thing is we had this kind of debate i think he only gets that florida state job because he's known as a recruiter right and i think that's another tag against the black coach minus someone like a, a franklin or someone who kind of get tagged as being offensive guys um mm-hmm. and i think someone's going to lose that tag quick and never he'll he'll he won't get a third job um mm-hmm. i think Taggart and every black coach gets that recruiting tag and it's recruiting first and i think it allows them to get fired faster because you don't see the genius you don't see the brilliance in in them right away and when i say you i mean the boosters right who who kind of run the, yes run the show at uh these big time schools and i think the boosters even though they know he's a cleanup man and they're building, they're bringing him in to build the program they see him also like oh man you got 50 florida players when you're out south florida and you built that program back up when you get here mm-hmm. cuz we're florida state you're getting like a top you know you know top 2 recruiting class and you're going to win right away but i don't think well you- here's the
1: no, no, I think you're right. I don't disagree with that. I think I think you're right that all these coaches get tagged as as recruiters, right? I think that you know, given their expertise, um, you know, on which side of the ball, right? So Willie Taggart got you know he was known for this kind of smash mouth spread offense, right? That you know made Western Kentucky a tough out. Um, he was tough at you know with the dual threat quarterbacks at South Florida, and they got him. You know that fit into what they had done at at Oregon in some ways, which under Chip Kelly previously is that they have those dual threat quarterbacks. And so he was a perfect kind of guy. He had ran enough kind of offense and then he could recruit. And they're thinking is that if you can recruit South Florida, you can go into California and recruit and which is where Oregon gets a lot of his players. And so that's kind of the expectation. Right. And so, you know, he wasn't at Oregon long enough to even hear, you know, for us to even hear one way, the buzz, you know, how people, the fans were feeling in part because, you know, we got East coast bias, right. Cause we're not, you know, we're not that we're not out there to hear the, those stories. Let's just be honest. Um, and then two, he left so quickly for Florida State. And I think you're right. Florida State was thinking like, well, he, that, you know, quietly what had been happening as a, a former Florida resident is that University of Florida had been dominating the recruiting in the state. Uh, and both versus Florida and Miami, uh, and I mean against Florida State and Miami. And so Florida State knows that in order for them to get back on top, to be the dominant program, they have to win Florida. And so they needed to hire a guy to recruit Florida. I think Taggart's problem was this, um, in particular that, and I think one of the reasons that he got the, qu- the even quicker hook than we expected is that he did not even give. Uh, the boosters and fan hope in the offseason, like recruiting is about hope. Like, if you bring in the number one recruit, you're like, Oh, we're not winning this year, but next year we're gonna have the number one recruit, right? And I think that he did his recruiting was solid, but not spectacular, does that right, mean, right. you know? Like, and I think they, they brought him in to be spectacular, right? And you know, I think you know, they didn't have any quarterbacks, I think there was a big story. Uh, I only follow this because there's a, a major recruit on one of those Netflix shows who picked, end up going to Maryland and uh, over Florida state and Florida state fans were upset. Like, how are we losing to Maryland or recruit to Maryland? Right. Like, um, and so their point is like, if you're not going to win games and you're not going to get, you know, four and five star recruits at every position um, we're going to find someone else is. And so I think that like, he was hamstrung in two ways. Right. So when you get this tag as a recruiting and, uh, you know, as a recruiter, then you got to recruit and you got to give them hope. Um, and then that gives you a little bit more time to buy into, to to develop your program, to develop your X's and O's. But it's, you know, Taggart, I think, you know, in particular Taggart, it was, it was he was, he was caught on both ends, being black, being labeled as a recruiter, not having spectacular classes. And then the offense and the team production was, was not what Florida State Expected it to be, although it's not that much different than what it was in in Jimbo Fisher's last year. To be perfectly honest, um, and so I think that's part of you know that's where it is. So his question though, now he's lost all of his his reputation, right? Like he's not now he's not is he is he known as a recruiter? If he couldn't recruit to Florida right. State, he was known as a little bit of an X and O guy, but his offense struggled, right? So now the question is like, how does he get? how does he get back into the coaching ranks, right? Whereas Kevin Sumlin, you always, well, you know, his offenses were good. He just didn't win enough for Texas a and right? Right. Um, you know, um, Tyrone Willingham, everybody felt like he was wronged, um, but he got the Washington job and didn't do very well there either. Charlie Strong, we always felt like the defenses were pretty good, but they just never could put it all together. So South Florida was a kind of soft landing and Loxley got fired and had to work his way back up, be, you know, basically being the office of coordinator at Alabama. So it's interesting like to see what this Taggart, the next few steps for Taggart are going to be, because I think your point is right. When you're white, you still get to keep those parts of so you can have a bad offense and still be seen as a as an offensive group right.
0: like uh Kingsbury, <laughs> Kingsbury, right? And go right. straight it's to right. that and you could be terrible and go <laughs> mediocre, right? At best and go straight right. to the NFL. <clears throat> um and not have as right. an offensive Right. <laughs> the other thing too, there's kind of two points as as we as we wrap up I was thinking about it as we talked about Charlie Strong is recently just just a microscope black like these black coaches been under, under these big time programs of understanding that the boosters, right. Maybe don't feel the same way. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you go to Texas, you go to Florida state, you know, you got to win over the boosters. And I think there's probably yes. always something from the boosters who think, eh, I don't know. Right. That's what happened with Charlie strong. Like, like the, the people with the money didn't even want him there in the first place. Uh, right. right. Um, and I think, you know, that's the the step that these guys have to worry about. The other thing, and I think uh, we we had a really good conversation and pre-talk on this, is building pipelines, um, and mm-hmm. how we talk about white coaches being able to keep their reputation as offensive gurus. The other part of it is is just having that opportunity to come up through the ranks, um, mm-hmm. as as GAs right, as grad assistants, and then moving into those positions that are going to be the hot positions, the receivers coach, the quarterbacks coach. And then the offensive uh offensive coordinator, right? Um, and mm-hmm. we're not seeing a lot of that, right? So so on the one hand, we worry about Tagger, the individual getting that third, that fourth job or whatever fifth job he's gonna get, but going back to the back from a fire job. But on the other hand, who's mm-hmm. the next Willie Tagger, right? Who's the next guy who's gonna be able to going to come through these pipelines right a, you know he's a, he's a harvard disciple right that's that coaching tree and and what's these other major coaches what are their coaching tree look like are they, how are they building these kind of willie taggerts right to be able to go from a mid-major to oregon to florida state
1: yeah i mean i think that's an interesting question right because you know we see this coaching tree thing it happens very clearly in in all sports right but like when we talk about it typically we talk about it in basketball right like this guy is under this per, you know like he's under the dean smith coaching tree or the larry brown or whatever john thompson has a coaching tree etc cetera, etc cetera. but it's also interesting to see like how you know how is it that black coaches are going to get these jobs and then develop their own coaching tree are they hiring black gas are they hiring and then when they get fired what does that do to disrupt the pipeline for future right so when you fire a Willie Taggart after two years and he had let's say he had two or three black GAs well those guys get fired at the end of the year too right so now they got to go figure out how to do it and so they don't have anybody up the up the ladder who can hire them as an entry-level job so they get hired as a running backs coach or a tight ends coach or assistant or whatever and like that kind of pipeline is interesting when when you have this kind of turnover Um, and I think that's you know that's a challenge for any coach trying to work his way up that they get they, they're on the wrong coattails of the wrong coach, right, who gets fired and they could they kind of end out in, in no man's land. But for black coaches, this is a, it's particularly challenging because I imagine that they're very thoughtful about trying to hire black GAs. They understand what it took to, to do this at the same time that if they're not given a chance, it's also disrupting this coaching tree. And so if you're black, you're like, dude, do I, do I learn under a black coach or do I take my chances and learn under the white coach who I know is going to probably have more stability?
0: Right. Oh, wow. I never thought about that. But then,
1: But but then but then I get tagged as a recruiter for the white coach, for the white coach, and then I may not ever get a child. It's like a right. catch 22 man. It's a it's a challenging position. I don't, you know, I think that this Willie Taggart, I'm I'm actually super interested in following what's gonna happen in the next two years. But that said, Willie Taggart is gonna, gonna get paid like paid. Yeah, $30, yeah, million, yeah. 30 million dollars He's just or something started, to was, get fired. Yeah. Like twenty
0: <laughs> so in that money paying, though, or, or his agent, uh hopefully it was Master P. Uh I like to his agent <laughs> for having that. Hey, and, but I think that's the, the, the thing about what's powerful about that. You knew the black coach was going to get fired, right? Like you, so you are, you're you going to have <laughs> right. to have something in there. Uh, you fire me. Cool. You're going to fire me, but I'm getting my 17 mil, uh, 17 million, yeah. million. Like,
1: I'm not mad. I mean, pay the that's players, right. You know, so right. pay the players, but I'm not mad at it. Yeah, no, 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 no.
0: <laughs> hey, uh, real quick before I ask, speak about paying the players, uh, Shout out to Penny Hardaway um, dude, uh, for, yes. for being the real life Penny Hardaway from uh, Blue Chips, right? Uh, um, right. He's thumbing his nose uh, at the NCAA, his nose at NCAA. and I, but that's just to me. We we did the pay the players one where we were talking about likeness and stuff like that. Like, it's crazy to me that that they 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 want to control these kids' lives so much. Right? It's like the easiest thing to do is just figure out a system where where you're going to pay them, right? And or, or if you don't want to do that, just let the let them get their you know their um, name, image, and likeness deals. You know what I mean? Let let you know let that player whoever it was a wise man sign with some Memphis barbecue joint or something like that get get his little right. money and you know and be fine. Instead of controlling these guys' lives, let they doing do that Ohio State the football player right who shouldn't by the way right, who yeah. should never play college football again. Like he should just like you know what? I'm done with this. Uh, I'm that number, right? He should just take it. Uh, so
1: right, he should just take his draft status
0: out, and be like, "I'm right. out." Yeah, like, I can't yeah. believe he's still yeah. thinking about coming yeah. back, which is crazy. Someone somehow they convinced him. I guess someone convinced him, like you know, do this for the team. I mean, that you, I you know, these dudes yeah. are
1: competitive. It's you know, you forget it's teamwork and and teammates, and you don't want to let people down. That's that's intense peer right, pressure for all for you know. And I think that we 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 as 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 pundits and as scholars forget that. But those kids, you know, they really do, you know, they buy in and, you know, their success is almost a product of all the other team success. And so, you know, they, they will, at times they will make the right selfish decision, which I'm all for, like guys sitting out the bowl games, which we'll talk about later. But if I'm Chase Young, I'm just like, yo, God bless right, you, good night. Sign with out, the agent, yeah. sign in with the agent, train, um, you know, do what you need to do, sign a deal, um, get in right. advance. Live the life you want to live for the next three months before right. the you know six months right. before the draft. So that
0: that that bonus money he's going to get that's going to make up for that. I mean that that degree he's getting in general information anyway. I don't know what they major in Ohio State. Uh, yeah, right. Wait before and then one more thing before we get out of here. I know you mm-hmm. want to mention your uh, Matthew Bullock. Like now I'm putting you on the spot. I was putting oh, you on putting the spot. On the spot? So oh, you got to do yeah. this history thing for yeah. us. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Willie Jeffries is technically seen as the first black coach of PWI in 1979. But, you know, the the, the history says that it's Matthew Bullock, a Dartmouth alum, class of 1904, uh, got a head coaching job at the University of Massachusetts in 1907, uh, no, 1904, excuse me, uh, and then again in 1907 and 1908. While he was in law school at Harvard, uh, and he's the, as as far as the records tell, he's the first paid black coach at a predominantly white institution. They paid him some miraculous sum of like $250 a year, you know, to be hey. the head coach. Yay, um, hey, it was. It covered tuition. That's it's crazy. It covered his, his law school tuition and paid some books. And that's why he went out there, you know, a couple of days a week uh, for the crazy. season. Um, but they enjoyed I, yeah, it. Yeah, it is had crazy.
0: One, so Harvard's had not, uh, Bullock um uh william lewis and then william matthews right so matthews football player baseball player i believe bullock did not play bullock did bullock not play for Dartmouth, harvard though, although they right? wanted but he wound up yeah, yes. being at harvard eventually as, law as a school, law school right he but he did but not but not but as an athlete lewis and matthews both went to law school too if i'm not mistaken
1: Right, so it was interesting. They changed the rule in nineteen oh three oh four, literally right before Bullock was about to graduate, because Harvard had basically wanted him to come to to the law school to play football for them. He was a stud, but like he got hurt, intentionally hurt by Princeton uh, in his senior year. Uh, in an important game against Princeton, because he was black. Let's just be
0: clear yeah. about that. Because
1: he was black, and because he was the best player, they say because he was the best and player, but because he was yeah. also black, was black. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, yeah. So, Bullet goes on, and you know, he actually coaches at Morehouse as a uh, as a in, in Atlanta. Um, he has this interesting life as a head of the first urban league, the Boston Urban League, and it was the YMCA during World War One and uh is a parole head of the parole board in the state of Massachusetts and he becomes a member of the Baha'i uh religion and one of their chief spokesmen. He lives to be like ninety years old, so it's like, you know, an interesting like someone person. should have wrote
0: a book about him.
1: Huh. I, uh there is someone who's who's huh. slowly uh writing Before they left a, about a certain place. But- before they left a certain place to go to a warmer place, <laughs> slightly. Everyone, warmer, you can always
0: go back home, right? Like, yeah, everyone wants to go back home.
1: So. Exactly. You can always go home. So yeah. Well, well, Lou, man, that's wrapping up. Um, yeah, this is another fantastic episode, and I think we'll be heading when by the time this hits, we'll be talking Cap. about. Uh, we can talk about Lamar Cap Jackson. And Lamar Jackson, black the year of the black quarterback. And then it, basketball season starting to ramp yeah. up here in a little bit. So
0: we'll have some new, new interesting Alrighty. topics. Peace. Peace.